you're going to listen to a podcast, do you like scary podcasts? What's your favorite scary podcast? Well, it better be Guide to the Unknown. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And this week we're going to be talking about screen queens, final girls, icons of the genre. Yeah, it's a it's almost a tradition or something. It's a trope. Mm-hmm. It's a tradition. I feel like it's beyond a trope. It is a trope, but like there's so- something more. What do you mean? What's beyond a trope? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's, it doesn't feel like a trope. It seems like a like a part. A part. A storytelling, yeah, like device, m- device mechanism, something. The yeah. idea of a final girl is that they survive to be the the ultimate hero going up against the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to be talking about two of the biggest final girls in the game, and then scream queens are traditionally just actresses who have been in a bunch of horror movies, right? So sometimes a final girl can be played by a scream queen. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that here tonight. Um, but uh, to be a scream queen, you don't necessarily have to be a final girl. Sometimes no. a scream queen can be a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just kind of pop up in a lot of horror movies and slashers in particular. Yeah, you ever notice that one of your favorite actresses is in a ton of horror movies? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a scream queen. Yeah, and, totally. And so I feel like each of these things, final girls and scream, scream queens, they're somewhat exalted. Mm-hmm. They're exalted positions in yes. the in the horror genre. Yeah. Um, not everybody can be a final girl. Not everybody can be a scream queen. Mm-hmm. And so we will celebrate some of each. Yes. On Guide to the Unknown. That's absolutely right. So I think I will kick us off sure. this week. And I'm going to talk about a final girl that you guys will be unsurprised to hear we want to get into. Sydney Prescott of the Scream franchise. Yes. So just like uh, when we went over Michael Myers a couple of weeks ago, I wrote it out like kind of narrative style. I'm not trying to be cute. I don't think that's something like the people demand or it's like Kristen's writing a thing again. But my brain just works that way to get the story down. So I'm just going to read it. You do you. Again? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But before I do that, I wanted to give some stats on Sydney Prescott. A la, you know how there are those like wikis, like those like villain.wiki, like Jeff the Killer, where it's like stats, hobbies, whatever. Yes, yeah. I have some stats for Sydney here. Great. Okay. Just quickie. Um, origin is Scream. Occupation is student slash crisis phone operator slash author. Power slash skills. Wiggling out of smushed cars. Smarts. Strength. The goods. Hobby. Hanging out with her dog off the leash. Okay. In the true. third one. Yes. Don't love that. Don't love that. Put a leash on your dog. Put a leash on your dog. Leash the dog. Uh, no one is perfect. So that's one of her hobbies. And I would say spiritual pursuits are another hobby of hers that are unexplored. But I'm so curious in Scream 2, she has in her dorm room like Buddha statues, different places. She references astrology. I want to know what Sydney's off time is like because she seems a little hippy dippy. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if I've really picked that up in her. We talked about it in like the Scream 2 commentary on Patreon oh, because okay. I hadn't picked it up until the last time I watched Scream 2. Um, there's just a little something there. Hmm. All right. Yep. Um, goals, not getting killed. So that's basically it. Okay. Now the story of Sydney from the beginning. Scream 1. We meet her as a teenager who's clearly still reeling from the violent death of her mother when all of a sudden her classmates in the town of Woodsboro start getting killed. 
It looks like she's going to be next when a ghost-faced masked killer breaks into her house after a weird phone call, but she's able to get away. However, when her boyfriend Billy conveniently shows up right after the killer disappears, cell phone in hand, Sydney is suspicious that the killer was him. All this murder dredges up memories of her mom, and really no one is making it easier on her. People at school are practically celebrating the murders, and bitchy cheerleaders think she's made up her attack. She decides to go to a party at a friend's house because maybe it'll take her mind off things. But trouble and murder follow. People are picked off at the party as well, including her boyfriend, Billy. Or was he? It turns out there was never just one killer. It was two, and one of them was her boyfriend. His murder partner, Stu, fake stabbed him to throw Sydney off and allow her to find him non-threatening enough for them to corner and kill her. You see, it was Billy and Stu that killed Sydney's mom a year ago. Billy's mom left after his dad had an affair with Sydney's mom, and he never forgave her or Sydney. But Sid is smart and slippery and manages to dispatch these two dunces with little help from her friends, local cop Dewey Riley and TV reporter Gail Weathers. Mm -hmm. So those are the events of the first movie. So Sydney's on the come up as a final girl. It's almost like set up. Mm -hmm. She is the final girl in the movie. She, She obviously faces off against the killers, but I think that she becomes... She's one of the only final girls to appear as often Mm -hmm. as she will in a franchise and without any retconning, without any rewriting or alternate universes or timeline shakeroos. It's all one steady story. Yeah. Like if you're looking at this from the perspective of just Sydney's life and just Sydney's story, like not the other people who are killed and all that kind of stuff, this could almost, almost be like a prologue to her, her final girldom because she gets only more tough and like world weary sadder and wiser and this is how it started off so it's you know it's real ass kicking when you see the movie but in the course of writing and reading about her life it's almost mild right yeah okay so scream two comes sydney goes to college her life story has become a movie called stab she gets prank calls from ghostface and she takes it all in stride with a caller id and a smirk but that smirk turns into a frown when it turns out that someone is going further than prank calls. There are ghostface killings happening right on her campus, circling closer and closer to her. As tensions escalate, she allows security guards provided to her to take her and her roommate to a safe location for a little while, declining her boyfriend Derek's offer to accompany her. He's probably not behind this. Probably. But even still, what if he gets hurt? Get hurt, he does. Sydney Vert never makes it to her safe location, with Ghostface intercepting her armored car, killing the guards and her roommate. She runs back to campus to try to find help, perhaps from Dewey or Gale, who've come to the college for support, Dewey, and to cover the story, Gale. But what she finds is her boyfriend hung up on the theater stage. And Ghostface. She finds Ghostface. I don't know if I was writing that, like, and Ghostface. She finds Ghostface. Or if I just wrote the sentence twice by accident. I don't know who unmasks himself to reveal that it's her friend, Mickey, who manipulates her into briefly thinking her boyfriend Derek was his accomplice before shooting him. But a face from her past is revealed as Mickey's partner, Billy's mother. It turns out that she wanted revenge on Sydney for killing her son, and she was able to find Mickey in a, tra- in a chat room for people who were homicide curious and groom him into being her partner and getting close to Sydney. Sydney once again kicks total ass, using the setting of the theater, props and all, to kill the killers and get away, just a little more weary and tough as frickin' nails. 
Yeah, this is now Sydney is developing into oh, yeah. a, a a constant badass. Mm-hmm. Totally. And she knows what needs to be done, like mm-hmm. in the first movie. And obviously, spoilers for all four of these, um, in case that wasn't clear. Sure. But in the Every first movie, movie we mentioned, we're going to spoil. Yes. Yeah. In the first movie, like, you know, she thinks that she's killed Billy and then he pops up for like a final scare and Gail has to shoot him and put him down. So now she knows that that's going to be a thing. Like they basically have dispatched Debbie Salt, but she shoots around into her forehead just in case. Yeah. Because now she knows that's how these things roll. She's like, just in case. And she throws the gun off to the side and is like, all right, what comes next is the cops come. Yeah. I guess I'll go outside to meet them. Mm-hmm. I kind of know the ropes with this by now. She sort of is above the rules at this point like the final shot of the movie is her walking away and it's a big you know helicopter shot Mm -hmm. where she's just sort of like walking past all the chaos right and it's almost as if she doesn't even need to check in with the police it's just like that's true you're right she doesn't even yeah she's outside the law yeah it's like vigilante justice or something and she has excelled beyond yeah the need for any of it she hands off not that like in the first one she's like going to the press but like she hands the press right off to cotton weary yep. it's like totally irrelevant to her yeah, basically I'm done um i didn't even mention cotton weary but he's a character who had been dating her mom and they thought that he had killed her mom and then obviously because billy and Stu had done it they find out that he hadn't and so he's kind of like looking for some press in the second movie so he's there another fame chasing suspect mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly so yeah she's just like yeah talk to him he's the one you want he's the hero and all of this like she's just not interested at all yeah they don't even you know what i guess they don't even really talk about her reaction to the stab movies no do we ever hear what she thinks about that like we know in the first one she jokes about like oh, no, no no it's not her who jokes about it it's um wait is it in the first one, in they the joke about one? um. Tori well, she spelling. says, "With my luck, it'd be Tori Spelling." Okay, it's in the, the first movie. one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So she like mentions like in a jokey way that that you know what could if that maybe were to be happen? a thing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we never hear her say like, "Oh, these movies are so annoying," or like, "I don't care." She just never has any comment on them. At best, she says um to a prank caller, an mm-hmm. innocent prank caller, she's like, "Hope you enjoy the yeah, movie." Yeah. Right. Where she's aware of their presence, but it doesn't. She doesn't seem to let it factor into her life. No, in either way, it doesn't seem like she, which wouldn't be true to her character. Seemingly, doesn't seem like she enjoys or likes that they're out there. But it also doesn't seem like it's like dragging her down at no. all. She sort of accepts that that's what people are going to do. They're going right. to make something of her story, but she's not really going to let it get to her. Right. She's not yeah. super interested in it. So yeah, you're starting to see a little progression. Like it's not crescendoing just yet. I don't know if it ever crescendos exactly. Yeah. Because from here on out, it's pretty much just her being a badass continually. True. But this is kind of the first time where she's like, ugh, boom. This is how it goes. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like also, not compl- obviously she's fr- thrown, but at least in the moment, not like crying, no. freaking out kind of thrown. Obviously she has some trauma that kicks in later mm-hmm. um, that we kind of see in Scream 3. But in the moment, she's just like, I just have to take care of business. Like yeah. this is happening. I got to do it. Here we are. Yes. She's becoming more and more activated mm-hmm. by things going wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So now let's talk about Scream 3. So, like I said, she doesn't seem like she's that devastated in the moment, but obviously all this trauma kind of comes home to roost. So, in Scream 3, Sydney has understandably isolated herself. After all, after the past few years, most people she's gotten close to have turned out to kill or be killed. She's a crisis hotline operator living in a nice house with a dog, working under an assumed name, and just kind of doing her thing and living with the ghosts of her past. 
until again, damn it, Ghostface killing start up again, this time seemingly using the script to the new Stab movie as guidance. Ghostface calls Sydney and eventually she's drawn to Hollywood, as has been Gail as a consultant to the police and Dewey, who's working as an advisor on the movie. There's Slicen, there's Dyson, and Sydney finds out that her mother had actually worked in Hollywood before she met Sydney's father and had been caught up in some casting couch type situations and parties. Where, it turns out, she had a baby, who turned out to be the killer in this movie. You see, Roman Bridger, is it Bridger? Bridger. Okay, good. Uh, Roman Bridger, the director of Stab 3, tells Sydney in his Bond villain speech that he wanted to meet their mother four years ago, but that she rejected him and said that she had a new life now. He was furious, and after stalking her and seeing how she stepped out on Sydney's dad, he contacted Billy Loomis, showed him the footage of Maureen with his dad, and kicked off the bloody events of Scream 1 and, by extension, Scream 2. But Roman couldn't leave well enough alone and wanted to create a situation that would lure Sydney out of hiding, so he started killing his way right to her. This time, yes, Sydney once again kicks major ass, but she's also just had it with th- this stuff. Unimpressed with his motives and theatrics, telling him to stop whining and that this can't all be blamed on her mom or anyone else. This has all been his choice. She's totally badass and awesome. She kills him in self-defense and holds his hand as he dies. He is her brother, after all. It's true. It is true. I just realized I left out her romance with Detective Kincaid. Oh, whatever. I decided to pass over that yeah. just subconsciously. It wasn't a, a on-purpose decision, but that also happens. Mm-hmm. Sydney and the detective, McDreamy, fall in love. Yeah, this this is interesting when viewed as like, what does it mean for a final girl here or for a scream queen? Because this is where Sydney now is on the set of Stab 3. So the Sydney Prescott character within the scream movies has become something of a a final girl Mm -hmm. legacy in that universe Mm -hmm. and her mother right turns out to have been in horror movies Mm -hmm. back in the day rena reynolds rena reynolds that's her stage name but she um was a a scream queen herself right she was in amazombies um and i don't know i guess it ties sydney prescott even closer to the legacy of final girls and scream queens yeah each which is is true i didn't think about her mom being a scream queen i forgot that she was in a bunch of like goofy horror movies and that's like what they find out yeah that's Uh, right yeah just like like trashy Mm -hmm. trashy like 60s horror type stuff i guess yeah totally um but then like sydney prescott becoming a character in movies within the movie scream is also kind of layered and odd yeah but she still ends up just like rising to the challenge that's presented to her Mm -hmm. and kind of taking no quarter she's there's no compromise when it comes taking no quarter yeah that's what does that mean that's a term that means like not compromising okay um but so you know she doesn't really care about it doesn't even matter to her anymore what someone's motive might be right she's like oh my god i've had it yes like whatever is happening just do it i'm sick of hearing your bond speech Mm -hmm. like let's just just get on with it you big baby yeah she's not even trying to get away Mm -hmm. anymore and she's just gonna kill him yeah she's just going for it she's like you're trying to kill me i'm trying to kill you i'm gonna kill you this is the way this dance goes i've done it before Mm -hmm. i don't don't really care what fractured your psyche and made this happen. You will be the fifth person I have killed. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Although I guess Cotton killed Mrs. Loomis. Cotton killed. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she shot Mrs. Loomis, but she was already dead. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah so that's true. So I guess four. 
Four. Then, right? She also, yeah. One, Mickey, two, she and three, Gail both shot him together. Mm-hmm. But I guess that, that, counts I think that counts. That counts. So I think that counts as one. She's definitively killed four people by the end of Scream 3. Yeah. Yeah. Man, what a life. I know. It's true. Holy moly. <laughs> She's really been through it. Yeah. This hell, babe. Hell of a life. Yeah. Woo. Well, you know what? A hell of a life demands a hell of a memoir. Mm-hmm. 11 years later in Scream 4, Sydney has written a book about all of her experiences and comes to Woodsboro to promote it. Wouldn't you know? Murder has come home to roost as well. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, William, wait. You got me good. What? My follow-up. What? I can't. So stupid. It's embarrassing. What? Yeah. Didn't see that coming, did you? Oh. Oh God, I'm sorry. By the way, I didn't have to do any research for this. I did this all from memory. Sure. Yes, of course. <laughs> that was a line from Scream Two that I just did at will. This is so dumb. Yes, it is dumb. Oh, we God. did you see that we got a four star review because we talk about Scream too much? <clears throat> well, there. They like the show. Mm-hmm. They took off a star because we talk about Scream too much. The the I can't impact. This is gonna help. The impact of any negativity. I've been sitting here thinking like, oh no, what if we do and people don't want to hear? But I think that this is the legacy of a kind of, yeah, horror trope or again mechanism character type. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. Yeah. I think that Sydney Prescott is is really the only, the only scream queen final girl left standing mm-hmm. that hasn't been marred by continuity problems and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I really hadn't thought about it, but I think that's true. It's not like true. she ducked out for a few movies or was supposed to have died mm-hmm. and they find a way to bring her back, like anything like that. She just is there through all of that. It's essentially a rarity that there are at present at Mm -hmm. recording there are four scream movies she is one of the central characters of all four she survives all four she she overcomes in all four and her psychological evolution and emotional change through all four Mm -hmm. is definably it's trackable yeah oh yeah it makes a a logical sense within the those universes that i i personally find important yeah yeah i do too i mean obviously yeah um, okay, so Sydney is staying with her aunt and cousin when grisly ghostface murders start happening, grislier than ever before. But time hasn't mellowed Sydney, and now, rather than being the girl who runs for the door, she runs into the door when she sees Ghostface attacking a mirror. <laughs> a mirror. What, attacking a mirror? Like a bird? Like when a parrot thinks that there's like a different parrot in the mirror? Start squawking and freaking out. You know what it was when I was—I didn't even write mirror. I wrote neighbor. I was thinking as I was finishing the line that into the door makes it sound like she just smacked into a door. So I was, my mouth was talking, but I was thinking I should have written like through the door. Right. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I don't know what my brain did. Okay. <laughs> well, she runs through a door when she sees Ghostface attacking a neighbor, a neighbor. attacking a mirror like a attacking bird. That's really funny. Attacking a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Flapping Just around, bogging her head against it. Yeah, that'd be scary. Yeah, yeah, it'd be like Agent Cooper when uh, Bob is taken over. That's him a little true. Bit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Ghostface calls her and assures her that yeah, I may be killing randoms this time, but it's all about you, and you'll die when I want you to. Dewey and Gail, now married, have settled into Woodsboro and are doing their best to hunt the killer down while Sydney tries to lay low. She's not allowed to leave town while they sort this out, and she can su- and she can support her family while she's here anyway. 
but there's only so much she can do. Ghostface kills her aunt, and when she rushes to get her cousin Jill from a party so they can be safe, she finds that death is blowing through the kids there the way it did at that first party so many years ago. (laughs) And, like so many years ago, an unlikely duo is responsible. Her cousin Jill and her friend Charlie were both the killers, doing it, quote, Billy and Stu style, in a bid for infamy and fame. It turns out that Jill was always jealous of her famous cousin, so much so that she double-crosses Charlie so she can be the sole survivor, which means she has to kill Sydney. She stabs her, and Sydney plays possum, saving her own life. The cops come and take them both to the hospital, and when Jill finds out Sydney's alive, she creeps to her room to kill her. But even hooked up to an IV, Sid's got the upper hand with a little help from her friends. Oh, God. I already said it with a little help from her friends. Gail was also in the hospital after a run-in with Ghostface. And while Jill is distracted with her, Sydney uses a defibrillator to conk Jill out. Then, with experience as her teacher, Sydney shoots her. <laughs> what? <laughs> then, with experience as her teacher? She knows. She does what she has to do. She's been here before. You're supposed to be like a writer, you know? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be like... Yeah, Will, something I'm of writing. Like a journalist, blocker. Yeah, I'm writing This here. is your art. Yeah. Then, with experience as her teacher. Very literary, I think. Okay, it's beautiful. Thank you, I know. <laughs> then, with experience as her teacher, Sydney shoots her. Another shock, another death. Sydney feels better already. Now this is where this is where I get very curious as to how they continue her mm-hmm. story. I know. She leaves off by saying, I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot better to mm-hmm. the corpse of her cousin. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great epilogue to the Scream trilogy to have one more movie where Sydney uh, essentially gets to like scratch an itch in a weird way by getting to fight against Ghostface again and like reactivate and learn who she is and, mm-hmm. and, and what makes her work best. Yeah. There's almost no arc for her in Scream 4. Uh, she doesn't really have anything arc, to learn or overcome. Just, yeah, it's it's definitely not an arc, but like it is really cool to see that there was a previous arc. Like when she runs into that house when she sees Ghostface, right. that's like indicative of a previous change. Yes, I, it's indicative you know? of, yes. But she sort of has like, now she just is who she's been yeah. before. Mm-hmm. Um, and her saying, I don't know about you, but I feel a whole lot better to a dead body mm-hmm. is very dark in a way that I personally like, mm-hmm. but I'm very curious because they're filming Scream 5 right now. Yeah. I think that uh, Nev Campbell's due to start filming like in the next week or something like that. I just, mm-hmm. I've seen the tweets. Yeah. Um, I'm just really curious to see where she goes because the Sydney Prescott story is not done. No, certainly not. Yeah. No. So how do you want to do this? Do you want to jump to your final girl and we both talk about Scream Queens at the end? (sighs) Sure. I don't think that's a bad idea. Okay. Let's talk about, um, you know, uh, uh, Sydney Prescott is to me the sort of like, even though it's been four movies in over 20 years, Mm -hmm. she still is like the modern Scream, uh, modern, modern final girl to me. Where we get to see like the psychology of what's happened to her in the aftermath of these things. Arguably, one of the first was Jamie Lee Curtis's character of Laurie Strode in the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. Now, we've talked about the, um, the origin of slasher as a subgenre and Halloween's place in establishing the slasher model. And there certainly had been final girls before... Um, uh, Laurie Strode. Right. Um, like Sally Hardesty is is the protagonist of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and survives to the end. Mm-hmm. But we never see her again. 
I mean, it seems like similar to how there were, you know, slashers before Psycho. Mm -hmm. And then obviously again before Halloween, like they still didn't make quite the impact that these things do. So even though they were technically final girls, it really feels like it starts yes, with Laurie Strode. Absolutely. And uh, so Laurie Strode, uh, you really got to see her sort of like grow and change and develop over the course of movies. However, it's been over 40 years since Halloween mm -hmm. from 1978. And there are something like you covered it and that's in the, uh, the, the Michael Myers episode. Yeah. There are like five different continuities. Yes. Here. Yes. So, At least, let me see. There's, I think there are four. Four. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try to cover uh, each one of them somewhat briefly. Okay. Okay. Halloween 1978. Laurie Strode is a very nice, albeit, you know, kind of naive, innocent uh, high schooler. And she is babysitting for Tommy Doyle and eventually Lindsay Wallace, these two children, on Halloween night. Unbeknownst to her, a madman named Michael Myers has escaped from Smith's Grove Sanitarium. Michael Myers, when he was a boy, killed his older sister, Judith Myers, and has been locked up ever since, until this night when he gets out. And bit by bit, over the course of this movie, he is stalking Jamie Lee Curtis, who just may be one of the first person he happens to see when he returns home. Uh, and then, you know, because of that, stalking her friends and killing a bunch of people around her until just Laurie Strode is left. She protects the kids. She gets Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace to safety, and then she does what she can to fend off Michael Myers, initially using a knitting needle to stab him mm -hmm. in the neck, which I always thought was kind of badass. And yeah, even totally like is. Allie, my wife, is a major knitter. Yeah. And so she knit the cardigan that you're wearing this moment. That's true. The very cardigan yes. in which I am uh, uh, ensconced. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think anytime that I've watched Halloween with Allie, the second that Laurie Strode stabs Michael Myers in the neck with a knitting needle, there's a little bit of a like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> kind it's of badass. Uh, yeah, it is. So uh, she manages to not only stab him with the knitting needle, but also eventually stab him in the stomach with his own butcher knife. Mm -hmm. uh, and she thinks it's all over even though Michael Myers isn't done yet. And she's saved at the zero hour by uh, Michael Myers, old psychologist, Dr. Loomis, who plugs Michael with six bullets, knocking him out a plugs window, him. plugs him good. Uh, but uh, unfortunately they're all, uh, Michael Myers gets away again in the end. That's Halloween to her in this moment. He is the boogeyman. Mm -hmm. She does not know he, who he is, where he came from, what he wanted. He's just a monster that appeared and, he's and real. killed all of her friends. And he's real. Let's jump to Halloween 2, which came out shortly thereafter and is the first of many movies that will retcon the past. Mm -hmm. We pick up immediately after the end of Halloween. Laurie Strode is taken to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital. Michael Myers stalks his way there, seemingly to get her. While she's in the hospital, she has a drug-induced vision. Mm -hmm. She hallucinates, or she dreams, or she remembers that she was adopted. Yeah. Laurie Strode was adopted by the Strodes. She remembers going to visit a boy, her older brother. Oh, my God. I'm Michael Myers. I'm his other sister. He killed his older sister, Judith, when he was a boy. Now he's coming to kill me, his mm -hmm. other sister. By the end of the movie, Laurie Strode will face off against Michael in the hospital again. She takes a gun and kapow, kapow. Plugs him. Shoot, plugs him twice in the face. Ooh. And both bullets go perfectly into his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> and then the, the wounds in his eyeballs cry red blood tears down the mask. Yes. 
but he's not done yet. However, Dr. Loomis again comes in at the zero hour and blows himself up. Sets him on fire. Sets him on fire. And Laurie Strode escapes. Um, So Michael Myers appears to die Mm -hmm. in a fiery blast. Does he survive? Who can say? What we do know is that Laurie Strode stands triumphant, having defeated her brother. Right. Okay. Once again. The next four movies get away from this story entirely. Halloween 3 has nothing to do with the Michael Myers or Laurie Strode story. Easter egg Jamie Lee Curtis does the voiceover in a hospital, making Mm. her one of the few original cast members to be in this disconnected sequel, which is kind of fun. fun. Then Halloween 4 through 6 get back to the Michael Myers story, but they deal with Laurie Strode in an interesting way. There is no Jamie Lee Curtis here. Mm -hmm. Instead, we are following the daughter of Laurie Strode, Jamie Lloyd. So this communicates that sometime after Halloween 2, Jamie Lee Curtis met somebody whose last name was Lloyd. Right. They I I it maybe got married, I'm not sure, but at least had a kid. Right. Jamie. Michael Myers survived that fiery blast, so did Dr. Loomis. They're fine. Eh. And now he's coming to get Jamie. Mm-hmm. They play a little bit with uh the notion in Halloween 4 that maybe whatever evil is possessing Michael Myers, is jumping into Jamie Lloyd. Maybe she will be the next killer. They back off of that. You know what I just thought of that kind of connects to um, the Psycho books? We're going to be on a podcast. We'll tell you about it on social media and everything, but there's a podcast called Books in the Freezer that William and I recorded an episode for this week talking about all of the Psycho books. And it reminds me of how in, spoiler for the Psycho books, uh, like some people think that the spirit of... Norman Bates jumps into people. What if this plays by the same rules and some bit of spirit has jumped into Loomis, making him impervious to the flame the same way that Michael Myers is? Sure. What if? What if? Imagine the possibilities. (laughs) Go on. They are many. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Halloween 4 through 6 are really disconnected. They mostly follow the daughter of Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode is not here because she is said to have died in a car accident. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, sidebar, uh, the protagonist of Halloween 6 is another family member of Laurie Strode's. Yep. Except that it is her cousin, Kara Strode, but and Michael's stalking her. But remember, Laurie Strode was really a Myers. Right. So she was really Michael's actual biological sister. So to just focus on another member of the Strode family. Yeah, who has no connection means to... Means that Michael's not related to them. Yes. Just want to point that yes. out. Yes. You know, maybe <laughs> he's mad at them for... Who knows? God, it doesn't even matter because nope. we're going to leave that... And don't they live in the the Myers house somehow? Yes, they do. They yeah, do live in the right. Myers house. Halloween 6 is... Yeah. Awful. Yeah, it seemed real messy from me reading about it for Michael Myers. A million percent. All right, now let's jump to another universe. Because after the success of Scream, where mm-hmm. people were introduced to Sidney Prescott, um, they decided to bring Halloween back, and they contracted Kevin Williamson to write the script for it. Kevin Williamson originally wanted to keep it in continuity with everything I just described. Uh, Laurie Strode faked her death in that car accident. She did have a daughter, Jamie Lloyd, who is now dead. Mm -hmm. However, they all decided to streamline it, simplify, let's just retcon again. Yeah. And we'll tell a story about the following. Um, Although I should say, (laughs) 
All right, let me tell you the story of H2O. Okay. In H2O, Laurie Strode becomes Carrie Tate. She has changed names again. She was presumably born blah, blah, blah Myers, then became Laurie Strode. Mm -hmm. Now she has changed names again, Carrie Tate. You change your names to adapt to your life. She's adaptable. Yeah, she's adaptable. She is the headmistress of a private school where her son, John, is one of the students. And she has spent the last 20 years believing that her brother, Michael who attacked her on Halloween 1978 and even stalked her to that hospital when she had the revelation that he is her brother, he will come back. And she's proven right. Right. A lot of her friends and family view her as really having been traumatized and maybe um, torturing herself because obviously nothing wrong. It's been 20 years. Get over it. But she's right. And Michael Myers does come back just like in 1978. She manages to protect the kids get them to safety, and then she faces off against Michael alone. This time, even trapping her and Michael within the gate of the private school, not so much uh, uh, so that uh, she can just kill him, but to make sure that he just can't get away. Right. She doesn't want him to get away again. Badass. Halloween H2O ends with Laurie Strode stabbing Michael in the chest multiple times with multiple knives, uh, uh, driving a car over him, and then eventually uh, uh, she manages to knock him down a hill and crush him with the side of a van. And finally, to top it all off, she takes an axe and chops his head off. It's sweet. It is awesome. It is the kind of thing that, um, you know, Scream is not a, a supernatural franchise. Halloween is is because we get the vibe that Michael Myers is unstoppable. Some of the bad sequels try to explain why he's unstoppable, but even ignoring that reasoning, he's unstoppable. No matter what you do, he will get back up. So for Laurie Strode to go hard, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get him this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way, and I'm going to chop his head off. It felt like the supernatural equivalent of a Sidney Prescott rising to the challenge to fight back against Ghostface. It felt... Um, momentous mm-hmm. and important. Yeah, even her like locking the both of them in to the school is kind of like Sydney running into the house. A thousand like, percent. I'm yes. coming to finish this completely. Um, and so this is another uh, divergence mm-hmm. here. There are comic books which tell a story that changes from what they actually did in the movies. In the comic books, um, there was a, a series of comics that show her going crazy. After um, killing Michael Myers, um, he is dead. Mm -hmm. She starts wearing his mask and falls mute and waits for next Halloween, where upon she starts stalking Lindsay Wallace and Tommy Doyle, now grown up, and uh, she kills them. Mm. Uh, This all ends with her being trapped in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, exactly where Michael started this whole sordid affair. Um, I almost find that to be preferable to what happened in the movies. (laughs) I don't. I don't like it. I don't like it, but yeah. I really it's it's like it's like having to choose what you want to eat yeah. of like rotten cheese right. or more rotten cheese. Yeah. And I think that Halloween Resurrection, the movie sequel to Halloween H2O, is more rotten cheese. It's yeah, bad. Yeah, it is. At least it's blessedly short what happens with her and that. That's true. That's you know? true. Yes, it is short. At the beginning of Halloween Resurrection, it's the only scene that Laurie Strode has. Since she chopped off Michael Myers' head at the end of Halloween H2O, a most triumphant ending. <laughs> we learn, it truly is. We learn the following. Michael Myers switched places with somebody else and Laurie Strode chopped off the head of some innocent man. Right. As a result, she has been locked up in an asylum 
Um, yeah. She, but she knows that Michael will come back, right. and so she set a trap. He falls into the trap. She's got him dangling by his foot, several stories up on the seal on the on the roof of the asylum. But then he bests her. Yes, she can't resist. She's got to look below the mask to make sure that it's really him. And when she approaches, he takes the opportunity to grab her, stab her, and with her dying breath, with the last of her energy, she hoists herself up to kiss him on the lips, the mask lips, says, see you in hell, Michael, and then falls to her death. Mm -hmm. That is one of the deaths of Laurie Strode. Yeah. Um, A crappy one. Jamie Lee Curtis has gone on record to say that uh, she di- she considers that movie to be a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had no um, she had no choice but to do it. She was contracted to do it. She had to do it. I believe uh, she even requested that they kill her. <laughs> uh, everybody agreed. Halloween Inch yeah. to it was the proper ending for Laurie Strode. Totally defeating Michael Myers, yes. not going crazy and becoming, you know, um, tortured and then you know being killed by him. Nah. A disservice. A, a disservice. I feel like more of a disservice if that movie was any good. It's yeah. easier to just kind of like write it off. Yes. Like that sucked. Halloween Resurrection yeah. is horrible. Yes. It's, but yeah. So it's technically a disservice, but it's also just so bad. You can just kind of throw it out. Completely agree. Along that track, the two Rob Zombie movies where now Laurie Strode is played by Scott Scout Taylor Compton. A lot of the Rob Zombie movies shows Michael Myers life as a kid. They have baby Laurie in those scenes arguably tightening up the idea that she was his mm-hmm. younger sister, solidifying right. that concept. However, the Rob Zombie movies are violently unpleasant to me. Yes. Um, Scout Taylor Compton plays Laurie Strode. She didn't really have a choice, I guess. It's Rob Zombie dialogue. Mm-hmm. She's a lot more sort of like vile and jokey and sarcastic and like does gross things with a, a bagel on her finger. <laughs> <laughs> like, just like not what Laurie Strode was like at all. Yeah. She's a lot of this is not what anybody was like, so it's not oh, super no, no, surprising. No, no. There's not yeah. like a, a recognizable human being no. to be found. Um, but in the end of that movie, she ends up similar to the first Halloween, although with one change, she doesn't she's not reliant on Dr. Loomis to come in and save the day. She ends up shooting Michael Myers point blank in the head with a gun. Mm-hmm. Thereby killing him. Okay. So when we see her now in Halloween two, she is tortured. But because it's a Rob Zombie movie, she's actually kind of like a goth punk rock. Yeah. Rockabilly, hillbilly, hellbilly. Uh huh. Hellbilly is a thing, right? Yeah. She's like a hellbilly punk rocker that works in a record store. Uh huh. And she's going crazy and she discovers that she is uh, her real identity of of Michael Myers' little sister, Angel Myers. Uh huh. Um, and then, uh, depending on which version you watched, she either kills Michael and then puts on his giant, disgusting mask and finds herself eventually being locked up in an asylum where she does the yeah, Norman right. Bates That's face down, saw, eyes right? up evil ending. That's the theatrical yeah, ending. Yeah, yeah. The director's cut is she tries to kill Dr. Loomis okay. and the police shoot her down. Oh, okay. Either way, not a happy ending for Laurie Strode in this uh, uh, incarnation. No. And then the most recent incarnation is Halloween 11, mm-hmm. where we're retconning again, but this time we're going further back than they've ever gone before. Forget every sequel. Lori and Michael are not even brother and sister. Right. So all she knows is her friends were killed in 1978, and she has spent the last 40 years certain that Michael Myers will get out of jail, get out of the asylum, mm-hmm. and come right back to kill her. She's gone so far as to outfit her house in the middle of nowhere 
with um, uh, deadbolts and metal shutters that can drop over every doorway with the push of a button. Yeah. Spring-loaded bars that will um, turn the basement of her house into a jail cell. Racks upon racks upon racks of guns. Frightening mannequins in the backyard that she uses for target practice. Her entire family is very disturbed by her behavior, and she has alienated herself from not only her family, but all of society. And then Michael Myers does get out, and just like she predicted, he's killing people. But not like she predicted. He doesn't seem to actually care about her. Regardless, he ends up at her house. And just like the end of Halloween 2, he's... Lit she on lights fire. Him on fire. Yeah, he's just lit on fire and she leaves. And the entire building is lit on fire. Like the whole compound and house is ablaze. It all goes up. So But he's gonna be back. He'll be back. She'll be back. Mm-hmm. Halloween kills. Yeah. We'll see Laurie Strode continue. Will she still be the final girl at the end of that? I wonder. Mm-hmm. Will she make it to the third already announced? movie of this uh, new yes. trilogy Halloween ends. Yes, she will. Time will tell. Don't you think? I don't know. I could see her being like the Obi-Wan Kenobi figure that gets like killed here and then somebody's got to continue. I could see that, but it doesn't seem super likely to me. I don't know. I know that uh, Lindsay Wallace and Tommy Davis. Nope. Tommy, Tommy Doyle. Doyle. Tommy Davis is um, in Scientology. Uh, he's like one of the big wigs. Okay. Um, Tommy Doyle are going to be in it because Kyle Richards of The Real Housewives played Lindsay Wallace right. and she had to have bangs in this season because she had to ba- have bangs in Halloween Kills. Okay. And uh, Anthony Michael Hall is coming to be um, Tommy Doyle. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. I forgot that. Yep. Anthony but because Michael we made Hall the words bad taste in my mouth, I don't disagree mm-hmm. because we've made the world smaller by right. saying that only the events of Halloween 1978 happened. There's only a handful of performers or characters that can even come back. Yeah. So I guess that boy she babysat 40 years ago is central to what's happening now. It'd be weird. I don't think this is the deal. It'd be weird if that's the next generation of of Halloween. Like they're setting up for us to now follow Kyle Richards and Anthony Michael Hall. That would be bizarre. I know that's not fu- that's not what's happening. I hope she has to be- babysit them. I hope that Lori Strode <laughs> is babysitting like 50-year-old Anthony Michael Hall. <laughs> that I would watch. Tommy, go down the street to the McKenzie's. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to me. <laughs> Do as I say. Do as I say. Yelling that at Anthony Michael Hall. Mm-hmm. I am so stoked for those movies. I can't help myself. Uh, I wish they it doesn't matter. Can you imagine? It doesn't matter if it's good or not. You know in the original Halloween where those bullies approach Tommy Doyle and they're like, do you even know what happens on Halloween? Yeah, I and he goes, that part. Yeah, we get candy. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. It makes <laughs> me so sad. I hope, that, I hope that Anthony Michael Hall has the same line. Don't you know what happens on Halloween? We get candy. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> My yeah. parents are in Florida and I'm home alone. Mm-hmm. Wiggle, wiggle, Tommy wiggle. Doyle's day out. He's going to get all the candy. Um, there's an episode of The Haunting of, not the reboot of The Haunting of, but the original run of it from like the earlier mid 2000s or like aughts or whatever, where it is um, psychic medium Kim Russo with Anthony Michael Hall. And she is like, you know, so basically the the premise of the show is that they would take a celebrity who had been on celebrity ghost stories and then take whatever ghost story they told on that show and go to the location of that story with a psychic medium who can like feel out the energy and see whatever. So they did that with Anthony Michael Hall and she started talking and asking questions and he started getting 
really defensive and pissed and walked off set and had to like cool down oh my God. and be brought on. And he is such a jerk to her. I had no feelings about him either way before that. I was like, okay, I know he exists. Fine, whatever. But he was so obnoxious. I would say give it a goog. Interesting. The, the clips are out there for the finding. And yet he does that thing where he's like, he's like, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Like he's trying to like act like he's not being a huge jerk in the moment like if you were to look at a transcript of the words what he's saying isn't really mean but his whole attitude and air is like it's just being i'm sarcastic. gonna kick your ass he yeah. looks so pissed uh mr hall you're being very rude oh am i am i being rude oh i'm being rude then yeah yeah, yeah. Like, oh, i'm so sorry i'm being rude yeah like he it's that kind of thing and it soured me on him like nobody's business if there was anything to sour huh. but i was just like whoa who is this dude yeah he's well he he was the the you know, he was the template for a dork in movies. I know. And so and I, now he's a badass. Right. I mean, I think he got arrested for something. I think he's had some troubles. So for all I know, maybe <laughs> he's straightened out. What? Well, if he got arrested, I bet he found himself uh, in a jail cell with the outcast, the loser, the oh prom girl, the jock. And I bet he wrote all of their papers for why they had gotten <laughs> maybe, jail in the first place. Maybe it was a little jail fist club. That's even worse than the Dead Fist Club. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Don't you think I know that? Yeah. Uh, so before we move on and talk about a couple of Scream Queens, we just want to talk about a couple of Scream Queens that we are sitting here. Yeah. Um, our podcast comes out every week in audio and video. You can find links to everything at gttupod.com. And we also have a Patreon page where every month on the 13th of the month, we release a whole bonus episode, as well as the first Sunday of every month, we do a live stream with our patrons where we plan out the next month of shows. So people who are members of patreon.com slash gttupod have known about Slashtober. They've known about the topics for every week and even like who we're going to be covering within them. And they've given us input and ideas. The name Slashtober came from Mary Rose, who's a patron over there. And we were like, yep. yeah, that's awesome. Let's do it. So that's a really cool thing to check out and also supports the show and helps us keep making it so thank you so much to all of our patrons over there it means so so much and if you're so inclined please join us and them over there we also have a new discord where it's just for patrons people chat on there and there's stuff going on daily it's a really nice way to talk to other people who are into this kind of thing and yeah will did i miss anything yeah um one thing that i want to shout out <laughs> yeah you did well yeah i was no, gonna I know, say if funny. you want to uh if you are enjoying this show right now please consider sharing it with other people mm -hmm. um one of the best ways for this show to grow is just because folks who listen to it say to their friends or write a post or a tweet or something going hey i listened to this podcast and i had a good time with it um you can also do us a huge favor by leaving us a five-star review on apple podcasts um as of recording right now, we've got 517 reviews. We've got a 4.7 oh, awesome. out of 5. That's awesome. Thank you, thank you. Which is really nice. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's full of new reviews like this one from Clarky84. Best ever. I love my pods. And this one, I wait to hear for when I can 100% listen and laugh my buns off. <laughs> so thank you, Clarky. He knew his audience. Yes. We love the buns. Yeah. We also got this one. Can I read a negative one? Uh, is it going to worm its way into my psyche? No, I'll leave it alone. But the, it. the point was yeah. they were like, it's not scary at all. Oh, <laughs> Which well, it's not. No. <laughs> but still, we got dinged. Yeah. Because we're not scary people. 
we're a celebratory like comedy people that just enjoy horror. Yeah, we just like horror. We just like this stuff. Yeah, what can you do? What well, you do? thank you so much, everybody who leaves those reviews. It really makes a big difference. Yes. And if you haven't done it yet, please do it. Thank you so, so much. And go to gttupod.com and you can find links all over the place yeah. to not just like see what we do, but find ways to hang out with your fellow listeners. There's the Patreon Discord. There's a Facebook group. It's all really awesome. So thank you so much for being here and being part of the ecosystem. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's briefly touch on some Scream Queens. Yes. I kind of just have like a conversational jump off. So do I. Perfect. Okay, I'm going to just, let's talk about Jessica Roth Mm -hmm. from Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You. Yes. So these are the only two horror movies she's done so far. Okay. But I think she's a fantastic presence in them, and I hope she does more. Um. The third movie is in the works, and they're doing something kind of interesting with it. So it's not in the works so far as there's like plans and a release date and all that kind of stuff. But because Blumhouse has been doing a lot of direct-to-video stuff recently, and Blumhouse is the production company that makes a ton of horror movies that you know about, as well as Happy Death Day and the second movie, Jason Blum, who is the owner-creator of it, said that Happy Death Day is intended to be a trilogy, and he sees premium video on demand as being the best way to make a third movie happening and he said it's like a perfect pvod movie Mm -hmm. so the model for this which is something that the movie freaky is doing that's coming out in a little while also directed by christopher landon and Mm -hmm. written by christopher landon he says it's in the same universe as happy death day Oh, Uh I don't know if that means that they pay off. That can easily be the sort of thing that the original creator has in their head that isn't necessarily manifested on screen. But it makes sense. I mean, both concepts are kind of that kind of works for me. Yeah. You know, it's like kind of supernatural sci fi playful. Yes. Yeah. Playful, tropey comedy. Yes. Concept with slasher Mm -hmm. uh, elements. I think Freaky looks really good. Yeah, I think it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. So that's a movie that's coming out soon that has a Freaky Friday kind of situation where it's like Vince Vaughn is a serial killer and then there's a teenage girl who somehow they like body swap. So now there's a teenage girl who's trying to like kill a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and then there's Vince Vaughn who's like hanging out with her friends who's convinced them that he is you know, herself or whatever, and they're trying to fight. I think it looks great. I think it looks uh, uh, very fun, yeah. very amusing. I like these movies that quite are... Amusing. I, I'm going to use a term that I don't necessarily dis- uh, agree with what it means. Mm-hmm. They don't take themselves seriously. Yeah. They do in as much as the filmmakers, the cast, the crew believe in what they're doing and are making it right, but they all seem to know that they're engaging in a concept that is itself comedic. Yeah, I think And so they're having fun. But to say, I think they're willing to let it be fun. Yes. Rather than just straight up focusing on scary or disturbing or whatever. It's like, how can we make this a good time and a good time? That is why Happy Death Day to me. I, right after I saw it, I, I'm sure I said it on some show that we were doing, I felt like the team that had made Happy Death Day, I would have happily, if I were in the position, handed them the keys to scream. Mm-hmm. I felt like they got the blend of yeah. comedy, slasher, who done it. They're very specific ingredients that Scream uses, and Happy Death Day has them. And mm-hmm. I think that Jessica Roth, who plays the lead character of Tree Gelbman, is amazing in those movies. I think that she is an 
absolutely incredible performer. She totally is. She's fun. She's funny. She's tough. So that like is that she's not always likable. By the end, she's kind of turned. Yes. But it's not. She's not a typical final girl, even though she is technically kind of a final girl in this movie, in that she's not pure in any way. Like she's kind of an a-hole to people for a lot of the movie. She's definitely not virginal, a big part of the reset button of this movie. So this movie has basically like a Groundhog's Day sort of play that's going on where this girl keeps waking up in the same day where she's going to be killed. And she's waking up like after a night out where she got like super wasted and went home with this dude. They didn't sleep together. So the virginal thing I just said isn't that. But that's just not her vibe. That she's like an innocent girl who somehow has to find some sort of strength in herself that she usually holds back because she's so meek. She's like not meek at all. No. And she just has to get through this. Actually, part of her part of her arc was that she was like an overly tough, caustic, rude sorority girl that would like kind of bully people. Mm -hmm. And she needs to learn over the course of this movie that that's the wrong way to be. Yeah. And that by softening out, that's sort of how she's going to escape from this time loop and from this killer. She has to be intelligent and emotionally intelligent as well. She has to like face her own bad personality instincts, which is a big part of what Groundhog's Day is about as well. Like Mm -hmm. you're a horrible person when you're stuck in this loop of, of seeing the cause and effect of what you do and the effect you have on people. Um, doesn't looking in the mirror that way make you want to change. Yeah. And I I think there's a lot of unexpected heart in Happy Death Day, along with really clever horror filmmaking. Totally. I mean, it kind of runs the gamut in a way because it is like goofy and knowingly not unique, which isn't really a problem. Mm -hmm. But also, I either teared up or cried. I can't remember. Yeah, when she's like talking to her mom Uh at one point when she meets her at like a restaurant, that really got me. And a big part of it was her performance. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I I don't think it ever brought me there, but I, I definitely acknowledged in Jessica Roth's performance, like vulnerability Mm -hmm. and really being able to walk a line that like Sidney Prescott doesn't have to be funny. Right. You know, Laurie Strode doesn't have to be funny. Yeah. So to do all those things and kick total ass, like to go into that mode where you're just like, like Laurie Strode, like Sidney Prescott, be like, okay, this is what's happening. I have to accept it. There's a killer who's going to keep trying to kill me. And so I just need to go after him first to go into that while also being kind of a sorority girl nightmare, Mm -hmm. kind of goofy, kind of vulnerable. That's like a lot of different characters in one. And she pulls it off and is so compelling and fun to watch. And makes it look effortless. Even though you know it wasn't. Yeah, it's great. I really enjoy like Happy Death Day as a concept for a movie. I remember people making fun of. Mm -hmm. Endlessly and being like Groundhog's Day, but a slasher. Like, okay, what a ripoff. Come on. Like, I heard tons of it. I think that uh, I was always game for the concept. It didn't bother me. Too. Me too. I always thought the trailer looked really good. But no matter what, I think the movie like works primarily because of her. I do too. Yeah. So like maybe she is a modern mm-hmm. scream queen in mm-hmm. that sense. I really do hope that they get to make that third one for sure. Because it sounds like they are. After Happy Death Day to you came out, it was looking bleak. Yeah. I, Happy Death Day to you is not good. Talk about the ingredients yeah. of slasher comedy horror whodunit mm-hmm. like the the ingredients are in it 
but in the wrong ratios. It is not a slasher anymore at all. It's yeah, it's 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 kind of just a sci-fi it's movie. It's a sci-fi, it's a sci-fi comedy. Yeah. And it's just not what it's like not like, what I was expecting. It's not at what all. anyone signed up for with yeah. the first one. Right. I, I saw it once in theaters Me and too. I still acknowledged like Jessica Roth as doing like yeah. the heavy lifting here. Mm-hmm. But like I really hope when if and when they make that third one, I hope that they do have a concept that gets it back more to the happy death day one sort I hope of so template. Too. Yeah. I hope so too. All right, William, you're Scream Queen. Yeah, so from the modern era to a a historical figure, um, in one of our planning sessions, the planning session for this month, one of our listeners, Christy Spinks, suggested uh, looking into Shelley Winters, Mm -hmm. who I was not familiar with at all. Did you know of Shelley Winters? Yes. You did? Yep. Not from, I didn't know that she had any sort of Scream Queen roots, but I I knew Shelley Winters. It's funny. In doing my research, I didn't find a lot of people exalting her or hailing her as a Scream Queen, but it is fully undeniable when you look at her track record. Um, She was a a performer on stage. She was on television. She was in the movies. Like, very classic sort of old Hollywood story. She did everything. However, she was also a major figure in a little-known, little-observed subgenre of horror, not necessarily slasher, um, but a subgenre that is referred to by multiple names. Psycho Biddy. Mm-hmm. Grand Dame Gunal, hag exploitation. I haven't heard that. Hag exploitation. I, I I love. It's kind yeah. of a, a wacky, kind yeah, of it insulting. Is. It is, but it's kind of. I mean, it's. It seems like the genre is leaning into the things that you would make fun of older women for. So right. it's, it seems appropriate and in a loving way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And uh, hag horror. Mm-hmm. The idea literally being older women are scary. That is the central concept of this subgenre. Incorrect? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. But you could even say that uh, Ma without... I was about to say that. Have you seen Ma? I have not seen it. I really, really want to see it. I think that was a Blumhouse movie. It is. It was uh, Octavia Spencer playing the titular Ma, Mm -hmm. who is uh, inserting herself into the lives of these kids. And the threat is that she's an older woman that... It's kind of inappropriate for her to be around them at all. Right. So a lot of these movies, um, the one that really is uh, credited with kicking it all off is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, which is literally about a former child actress, now grown up and uh, all the roles have dried up, trying to get back into the old role. Mm -hmm. And so it involves her dressing up like a kid, acting like a kid, and losing her sort of sense of identity and becoming a threat. For that reason, mm-hmm. um, it's o- the only thing that's important to her is being seen as youthful and yeah. vital. And whoever gets in her way of that, she will make short work of. Um, Wikipedia describes it as conventionally feature the exploitation movies conventionally feature a formerly glamorous older woman who has become mentally unbalanced and terrorizes those around her. Um, so here are some of the movies that Shelley Winters was in. And I've just got some of the brief sort of concept of some of these movies. There is What's the Matter with Helen? Another characteristic I really like about this subgenre is the names of these movies. Uh-huh. It's always Are there a lot of question marks? A lot of question marks, a lot of phraseology. Uh, so this is What's the Matter with Helen? Um, this stars Debbie Reynolds and Shelley Winters. Hmm. Uh, they are the mothers of two guys that were uh, uh, given life sentences for murder. Um, And they start to kind of go nuts. So um, in the crowd, uh, 
I guess there's a crowd around these two guys being put in jail and everything. In the car, Helen reveals that someone in the crowd, Helen is Shelly Winters, Helen reveals that someone in the crowd cut the palm of her left hand. Soon at home and tending to her wound, Helen receives an anonymous phone call from a man. I'm the one that cut you. I wanted to see you bleed. The caller threatens to make the mothers pay for the sins of their sons. Helen and Adele, played by Debbie Reynolds, change their names, leave Iowa, and head to Hollywood, where they open a dance academy for little girls who want to be the next Shirley Temple. The whole movie from there um, spirals in this sort of crime story where um, uh, Helen and Adele start to unravel and go a little crazy at times turning against each other and killing people to get them out of the way. Mm -hmm. It's less about them willingly want to kill people and more that deaths happen as a result of what they are trying to achieve. Yeah. But here's how it all ends. Spoiler alert, of course, but whatever. Um, uh, People hear somebody pounding out the song goody goody on piano. (laughs) They enter the house looking for Adele. Remember that's Debbie Reynolds, the friend. Okay. And they follow the sound of the piano up to the rehearsal hall. There they find Helen, Shelley Winters, giddily playing the song with Adele's corpse, dressed in her signature dance costume, tied to a ladder on stage. Helen laughs, completely unhinged. This sounds awesome. It's pretty badass. Whoa. I've I've been fascinated by the Grand Dame Gunal subgenre yeah. for years. I haven't seen many of them, but I remember stumbling across it just in reading mm-hmm. about horror and being like, oh, why have I not heard of this? Yeah. I had heard names of movies like this. I'd known of whatever happened to Baby Jane in title only. I'd heard of stuff like What's the Matter with Helen, but I'd never really spent that much time on it. So it's fun to go back in time and see an original Scream Queen who is not even really, again called such but definitely is um here's another who slew auntie rue i've heard of this see another crazy questiony name yeah rosie forrest okay shelly winters known as auntie rue is a kind mannered and children loving american widow who resides at her english mansion forest grange which she inherited from her british husband an internationally acclaimed magician Each year, she throws a lavish overnight Christmas party for 10 of the best-mannered children at the local orphanage. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Despite her warm demeanor, Uh Rosie is, in fact, demented and mentally ill, it says, and keeps the mummified remains of her daughter, Catherine, in a nursery room in the attic, singing lullabies to her and trying to contact her spirit with the assistance of a charlatan psychic, Mr. Benton. Um... Woo! Who slew Auntie Rue turns out to be something of a Hansel and Gretel type story uh-huh. where children are now trying to defeat the witch so that she cannot eat them. Um, Auntie Rue, over the course of this movie, will speak to herself in the voice of her dead daughter, oh. making me consider it yeah. at a 10,000 foot level. Something part of the lineage of Psycho. Yeah. Norman Bates speaking as mother to himself or Friday the 13th. I'm about to say, kind of a flip side of Friday the 13th. Pamela Voorhees speaking as her son, Jason. Mm-hmm. I, I I like that that's another parallel yeah. here. Um, I'm going to read you one more, but here are just some of the other horror movies that uh, Shelley Winters was a part of. The Devil's Daughter. The Tenant. Tentacles, literally about like a giant octopus. Yeah. The Invitation of, uh, sorry, The Initiation of Sarah, which is about a sorority house where the girls are turning on each other and 
Shelley Winters uh, coaxes a girl who's got psychic powers into killing people for her. Cool. And The Visitor. But here's the last one that I want to uh, talk to you about. And it's very, very brief, uh, but it's called Poor Pretty Eddie. Liz Weatherly is a popular black singer in need of a break from her hectic schedule. When her car breaks down, she ends up stuck in a remote southern town that's been left for dead ever since they put in the interstate. Mm. Which is also kind of the premise yes. of Psycho. She is forced to spend the night at Bertha's Oasis. Guess who Bertha is? Shelley Winters. That's right. It's a rundown lodge that serves as the bizarre fiefdom of an overweight ex-burlesque star who lords over her much younger boyfriend, Eddie, and a cast of equally strange townsfolk. Sounds like my future. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to have a fiefdom? Yes. I haven't heard of anyone having a fiefdom in quite some time. I think it's time I'll start referring to Ryan as my boyfriend because it makes me feel young. Yeah, even though you've been married to him? Yeah. Yes. That's weird. I know. Okay. I'm also probably not going to be a former burlesque dancer, but I can also see myself taking on that kind of air. That kind of quality. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. Welcome. Right. To Bertha's Oasis. Yeah. Bertha's Oasis. So now this uh, this lead character, Liz Weatherly, has to essentially survive the kind of freak show where Bertha, Shelley Winters, and her other, I guess, redneck, they as they refer to them, mm-hmm. um, uh, cadre in this compound are trying to attack her. Sounds awesome. Shelly Winters was... These movies sound really good to me. Shelly Winters was a a badass. Yeah. Well, in the movie, she was like a killer. Right, Like a lunatic, deranged killer. Yeah. But she is still to this day regarded as like a very prim, proper actress. Yeah, And that is the case. I'm not saying it's not the case. Mm -hmm. But also, she did... Tons of horror, mm-hmm. tons and tons of horror, and is maybe yeah, one of the earlier uh, scream queens that yeah. goes somewhat unacknowledged to this day. Interesting. I don't think she's seen as prim and proper. I would say that she is very well respected. Yes, she played like Roseanne's mom. A lot of people might know her from that. She was body. She's a she's a brassy dame. Brassy dame. That's yes. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she definitely respected as yeah, like for sure one of those like old Hollywood institution. Yeah. Oh, definitely type performers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Man. I really learned something here. I know we we did it all. We did a, a modern. Ooh. We did a modern final girl and the original final girl. Yeah. We did a modern scream queen. Perhaps we have to see what Jessica Roth I know, does I hope so. from here. I, I, hope I certainly so. hope so. And an original, uh, uh, not quite spotlighted as a scream queen. Scream right. queen. Right. Not bad. Very cool. I really didn't know any of that Shelley Winter stuff. It's fun. These movies, the the Grand they Dame sound Subgenre, I think, would be really fun to take a, a deeper look at. Yeah, I mean, I think I would really, really enjoy that. I really, ha- I really like things with older women. I just think that they're really interesting, mm-hmm. and I just like watching them. And um, yeah, I haven't really watched a lot of horror featuring that. I know. Another thing that I want to call out that the, I had always wondered why the term Grand Dame Gunal, mm-hmm. but when we were covering our slasher history episode just a few weeks ago, I called out the Grand Gunal Theater. Yeah which was, I believe, an Italian theater where they would put on stage shows that included a lot of violence. Yes. So I think the Grand Dame Gunal is a pun. It's just Mm -hmm. a punny name to work in the Grand Dame, being just like an older regal woman. Right. Uh, And so just combining the two, violence Mm -hmm. from a a regal older woman. Yeah. It's kind of 
a play on words, yeah. which a lot of the titles kind of are. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Awesome. Uh, well, guys, you thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this as well. As I said before, you can find everything we, j- we do over at gttupod.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, uh, Kristen already said it. Just go there, gttupod. <laughs> yeah, you can, also, you can also find us anywhere on social media at GTTU pod and you can find Will and I individually on social media as well I am at chillin Kristen everywhere that was like running a marathon and then like tripping at the like <laughs> no, that's okay. two yard that's line okay. you know no I just you know we usually <laughs> like got all the way to the end we usually tit tatted no you're right you're right I just yeah. fell over I don't know <laughs> who cares <laughs> I'm at the myth traveler yeah. so thank you all so much for hanging out with us we will be back again next week I think for the final yeah Yes, the final it is. entry in Slashtober. Ooh. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, go we. The final week of Slashies. I know. And I think it comes out on Mischief Night. It does. I wonder, it does. I wonder if there's any How joy to be wrung from that, mm. Hanky. We've to you. I don't think so. It's a hanky. <laughs> <laughs>